For able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark 1, verse 40 to chapter 2, verse 12. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum some days after, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is God's word. So last week we saw the crowds clamoring for Jesus. They witnessed his miracles, his healings, and his power over demons. They all wanted more of that for themselves. Jesus graciously spent hours accommodating them as he imaged the ultimate kingdom he would bring, where sickness, disease, and death will be no more, where Satan is powerless. However, Jesus' mission centers on something infinitely more important. He said in Luke 19.10, For the man, Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Forgiveness is at the core of Christianity. The gospel is Christ died for our sins and rose on the third day. Forgiveness is the gateway to the spiritual treasures of the kingdom. When we're forgiven, we have peace with God, 
peace with ourselves. We're liberated from the prison of guilt and shame. We're made new in Christ. We have a new identity, beloved of God. We're a part of the family of God. And we're brought into union with Christ, his purposes, his truth, and his perspective. Because Christ died for our sins, every believer in him has access to all the treasures and more. And while we may intellectually believe we are forgiven, many of us struggle with feeling forgiven. We ruminate on past sin, burying ourselves under an avalanche of guilt and regrets. We emotionally flagellate ourselves as though we're going to pay the penalty for our sins. Our feelings of unworthiness block out the grace that Christ wishes to shower on us. In today's passage, Jesus shouts out to us, I have the compassion and the authority to forgive. Believe me. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, only your spirit can move these truths from our heads to our hearts. So, so we ask that you meet us, each one of us, where we are on this journey of forgiveness. That we might be so refreshed and, and covered by your grace that we can't help but share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Travis began last week's sermon with a memorable illustration of being lost in the forest. We're going to tweak his story this morning to more closely mirror our passage. So imagine you're lost in the forest, you're, you're famished and thirsty, desperate for food and drink, you're, you're about to lose hope when another hiker appears. He takes off his heavy backpack and as he brings out food and drink, he provides a feast. So when you finish eating, you ask him if, if he knows the way out and he assures you he can help. So he pulls out his phone and he makes a call and soon a helicopter arrives to save you. And as you're lifted into the sky, you are shocked to see the raging forest fire surrounding you. Had you not met the hiker, you would have died. You realize that you had a much greater need than you first thought, and that this man provided something much greater than a banquet in the forest. This illustration gives us a sense of what's happening in our passage. Jesus promised provided a, a feast of miracles, and that led people to spread his fame. More and more people clamored for the banquet, not realizing the raging fire of God's just and holy judgment that surrounded them. In our passages, Jesus begins to provide the forgiveness which will save them from the threat of divine judgment. Jesus wants to forgive us because of his compassion. He is able to forgive us because of his authority. We're going to look at Jesus' compassion and authority. Verse 40 of chapter 1. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, 
you can make me clean. See, we can, we can feel this man's desperation as he hurls himself on his knees before Jesus and begging Jesus to be cleansed. Few people were considered as more repulsive than those suffering from leprosy. They were deemed outcasts, judged unclean, and cursed by God. The Jewish historian Josephus described them as being, quote, in no way differing from a corpse, unquote. And this was the decree of his community and even God, as we're going to see in Leviticus 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let his hair hang loose, and cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Even our most extreme responses to COVID are pale in comparison to what these people had to go through. Since leprosy was seen as a curse from God and incurable, it was clear that only God could heal this disease. So having heard that Jesus is about Jesus' healing ministry, his power over the satanic man, this man with leprosy believed that Jesus could do what everyone believed was impossible. Heal a person with leprosy. But would he be willing to cure one who was cursed by God? Would the one who's already been identified as the Holy One of God reach into sin itself to touch this man? So this is the decision that Jesus had to make because leprosy was emblematic of sin. Warren Wearsby summarized what just about every commentator says, when you read the tests for leprosy in Leviticus 13, you can see how the disease is a picture of sin. Like leprosy, it's deeper than the skin. It spreads, it defiles, it isolates, it renders things fit only for the fire. And we can add that sin separates us from God, from others, and deforms us just as leprosy did. You know, it's telling that the man didn't ask for healing. He asked for cleansing. And Jesus didn't send him, send him home. Jesus sent him to the priest so the priest could declare him cleansed. Everything in and around this passage shows that Jesus came to bring us something greater than healing. He's saving us from the wildfire of God's judgment. So, was he willing? We read verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand. He touched him and said, I will be clean. Jesus was moved by compassion. The word translated pity is the word based in our stomach. 
our guts. That's the seat of emotions. And we use terms similarly today. We might say, I, I feel it in the pit of my stomach, or it turns my stomach. It was a gut reaction, or she spilled her guts to me. Some early manuscripts cite the word anger instead of pity. Now, if that's original, it's not saying Jesus was angry at the leprous man. Jesus was angry at what sin did to that man. Jesus was angry at how sin has broken us and broken our world. See, Jesus hates the consequences of sin more than we hate it. But he knows he has to do something about it, not simply by touching the outside, but go, going right after what is the cause of it all, the sin. So in either case, whether the word is pity or anger, we see that Jesus' desire to bring forgiveness isn't simply an intellectual exercise. It is coming from the depths of his compassionate heart for us. His passion was, was so deep for this man that he disregarded ceremonial law. He, he passed over the, the cultural norms and expectations. He reached out and he touched the untouchable man. Probably the first touch that man had felt in years. And what should have made Jesus unclean made the man clean. Have you internalized Jesus' love, forgiveness, and grace? Do you still wrestle with it? Do you believe how much God, Jesus loves you, the compassion he has for you? Next time you struggle with forgiving yourself or receiving God's forgiveness, picture yourself as this leprous man. Ask him, are you willing? And hear him say, I am willing and feel his touch of forgiveness. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Jesus sternly warned him and sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer your cleansing, what Moses commanded, for the proof to them. Jesus sternly charged him, Jesus was adamant that that man not go to and tell others. He should tell no one, but just go and tell the priest. Why? Because people continually confused his mission with what they wanted his mission to be. See, they had an agenda for Jesus, just like most of us do. Their agenda was meet my physical and emotional needs. And that's what's happening today. 
more and more people are turning to Christianity for the moral teaching and the therapeutic healing that will bring us. We go because, Lord, relieve me from these problems, relieve me from these feelings, and we're, we're missing the fact that sin is at the core of it, and Jesus has first and foremost come to bring forgiveness. Jesus restored the man. He should have gone to the priest. The priest would have recognized the cleansing, and he would have allowed that man to enter back into the community of faith. But instead, the man was so excited... He went and started telling everyone. He did exactly what Jesus said not to do. And it's hard to blame him. But in his excitement, he reinforced their misconceptions about Jesus and what he came for. And I believe, as a result of that, Jesus returned to Capernaum intent on publicly demonstrating that his primary mission was to bring forgiveness Verse 1 of chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many gathered together, so there was no room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. You know, there's so much in the, these verses upon Jesus' return to Capernaum. The crowd blocking the door, his preaching God's word, their reception of God's word, the effort of the men to bring their friends to Jesus, their bond of friendship, and most importantly, their imaging of what true discipleship is. It is bringing people to Jesus so they could be made whole. But let's center on what Jesus is centering on. He had shown his willingness to forgive. Now he's about to show his authority to forgive. And we see this in the fact that Jesus prioritized forgiveness over healing in this passage. He publicly exposed the scribes questioning his authority to forgive, and then he answered them by declaring his authority and by proving it through a healing. So put yourself in the picture. You can imagine the astonishment of the crowd as, as the roof is torn apart above them, and all of a sudden this man is lowered down on his bed. They must have all been anticipating Jesus' reaction. What would it be? Would he be angry at the interruption? Would he, he promise to uh, make restitution to the homeowner, which was most likely Peter? Would he heal despite the intrusion? We see his response in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. See, everyone would have prioritized the man's physical healing. The whole town had brought the sick and demon-possessed to Jesus for healing. The, the four men brought their friend to Jesus so he could walk again. And Jesus had a greater purpose, the healing of the man's soul. Forgiveness is necessary for us to experience the kingdom of God fully. It is the gateway to the treasure of God's kingdom. 
So Jesus had established his authority over disease and over demons. Would he actually have the authority to do what only God could do? Forgive? Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus saw the faith of the four friends and, and the man. <clears throat> he saw this in the extent to which they went through. Uh, the risk of ridicule. Can you imagine getting down there and Jesus being angry? Uh, they had faith that Jesus could heal. They believed in the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching. But that, that gospel includes Jeremiah 31. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Ezekiel 36. On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities. That's what Jesus came to bring. And it wasn't what they first sought, but it was what they first needed and what each one of us first needs. Jesus' declaration was more shocking than the demolition of the roof. The scribes, were, the scribes were steaming. They had arrived before most of the crowd, assuming the privileged position, sitting in the front row. They were like a jury listening to Jesus' words and watching every one of Jesus' actions, ready to pronounce a verdict as to who he is. But they only did it in their hearts because... I'm sure they were afraid that if they spoke what they were thinking, the crowd might have turned on them. So we read verses 6 through 8. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in the Spirit that they themselves questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? See, Jesus had the audacity to say that he could forgive sins, not just pronounce that sins were forgiven like priests could do. So the scribes, upon hearing that, they had two options. They could believe Jesus, that he was the Messiah, that he was bringing the kingdom, that he had the authority of God behind him, or they could believe that he was a fraud and that he was a blasphemer, usurping God's authority to forgive. <clears throat> you know, many of us have to face the same, we all have to face the same questions about Jesus. Uh, John Duncan, better known as Rabbi Duncan, a 19th century professor, pastor, and evangelist of the Jews, said this, No mortal man made the claims that Jesus made. If they were to make them, we would think that he was mad. Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he himself was deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. There's no getting out of this trilemma. It's inexorable. The scribe's verdict was Jesus was either a fraud or he was deluded. So they denied his authority to forgive and they charged him with blasphemy. He was making himself equal to God. Jesus didn't shy away from that. 
If his logic had been, if their logic had been wrong, Jesus could have skirted the issue by not exposing the thoughts of the scribes and making an issue of it. Or he could have quickly denied that he was saying he was the source of forgiveness. See, if I had made a statement and you said, you're claiming to be God. I would say, whoa, no, 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 no. I'd be vehement in my denial. I said, no, I think you, you misunderstand me. What I meant to say, what, what my meaning is that God forgives them. God forgives you. I'm not trying to say I'm the source of forgiveness, but Jesus didn't say that. He doubled down. Verses 9 and 10. Which is easier to say than a paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. Jesus' response was, was a firestorm. It just poured gas on the thoughts and claims of the uh, the scribes. But Jesus intensified that fire by saying, the Son of Man. He used a messianic title. And then he declared by his actions, I have come to bring the kingdom of God with the authority to heal humanity's brokenness, to have dominion over the spiritual realm, and it begins with my authority to forgive. David Garland up, uh, unfolds the action. Knowing their thoughts, something that God is able to be do, Jesus asked them whether it's easier to make a theological pronouncement that the man's sins are forgiven or to provide empirical proof that the man's sins are forgiven by virtue of being able to get up and walk. Jesus then commands the paralytic to get up and walk. The Son of Man has authority to forgive sin on the earth. Peter Bolt states, The long-awaited forgiveness of sins promised by the prophets anticipated by John the Baptist has now arrived. What people thought could only be accomplished in heaven was being done on earth. And so the man rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You know, today, 2,000 years later, many people sit in judgment on the authenticity of Jesus' miracles. Somehow we think our judgment, 2,000 years later, is better than the judgment of the people who were there that were eyewitnesses. For their judgment was they were amazed and glorified God. We all need to answer the question, who, who is Jesus? And we can agree with the scribes and say he's a blasphemer usurping God's authority to forgive. Or we can say he is God in the flesh, bringing us the long-awaited kingdom with not only the authority to forgive, 
but the mission to provide our forgiveness through his death and resurrection. If Christ has the authority to forgive, then Christianity alone provides the way to God. If Christ has the authority to forgive, why are, why are we denying him when we fail to forgive ourselves? Why would we withhold from ourselves what God is willing and able to give us in Christ? Jesus has the compassion and authority to forgive. Let's backtrack to Travis's illustration we've tweaked. The helicopter arrives, but it is overloaded with those who have already been rescued. So there's room for only one more. The hiker makes sure that you board the helicopter. As the helicopter peels away and you're lifted high into the sky, you see the wildfire that encircled you. And you see it closing in on your new friend. You witness him be, being overcome by the smoke and the flames. And you will always remember him. Not for the feast he provided, but for the sacrifice he made to save you. Let's pray. Our Father, today we will participate in a feast, a feast that was originally celebrated at Passover. May we, in that feast, see the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in a way we've never seen it before. Amen.